Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle say 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511 511 Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, <clears throat> excuse me, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, special greetings to our listeners on KKSF, Real Talk 910 in San Francisco. 
Uh, this is a, an iHeartRadio, formerly Clear Channel station, uh, a big blowtorch station in San Francisco that we are very pleased to be on. We are also going live uh, next week in Los Angeles. More information on that on the largest FM in the United States. So a lot going on, uh, a lot of great stuff. A uh, little bit from the speech. He's not here yet, Arthur, right? No. Okay, great. A little bit from the speech. Uh, we had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of relations is of the first importance to our two countries. We regard the agreement signed last night as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another. We are resolved that the method of consultation shall be the method adopted to deal with any other questions that may concern our two countries. And we are determined to continue our efforts to remove possible sources of difference and thus to contribute to the assurance of peace. I believe it is peace for our time. Oh, wrong speech? Oh, I'm sorry. That was Neville Chamberlain on September 30th, 1938. I, uh, sorry, I'd be reading the wrong speech. Anyhow, Senator Sherrod Brown is on the line with us. Uh, I, I will get, uh, after, after we're uh, finished talking with Senator Brown, I, I want to get to my take on what happened in uh, North Korea. But, uh, what, what, what I, what I love about the show is it, it, there's always, it's always in the context of history, and I've got to think your listeners learn something significant every day. So oh, thank you, sir. I'm not, sure, yeah, I'm not sure our younger generation knows a lot, whoever they are, knows a lot about Neville Chamberlain, but always helpful to remind us. So, well, and I also well done, want, Tom Hartman. Thank you. I also want, uh, you know, Trump is talking about pulling our troops out, and, and Dean Acheson was Secretary of State for Truman, and he pulled the troops out in 48, I think it was, and that caused... Something uh, happened, I think. Yes, that yeah. caused Kim's, great, uh, Kim's grandfather to invade the South. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've so, had troops there ever since. Yeah. Yep. So on the line with the Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Brown. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what Donald Trump watches or listens to, but I can guess, no offense, but it's probably not Tom Hartman. But I think of what he could learn listening to you talk about history. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, you, can, you can tweet him at Senator at Sen Sherrod Brown and, of course, uh, brown.senate.gov. Senator, uh, t- two things I want to talk to you about. First of all, obviously, you know, the, you know, the top story in the news, we would both be remiss to not at least uh, discuss what happened in North Korea. Um, I've got some amazing clips from Fox News from 2007. I'm going to play later in the program uh, when uh, Barack Obama on the campaign trail, this was during the primary, uh, said that he would be willing to talk with Kim. And Sean Hannity said he was, uh, you know, a, a surrender weasel or something like that. And just host after host after host. Oh, my God. You know, Obama wants to elevate. You know, it was just unbelievable. Um, but Are you suggesting Fox would treat Obama differently from Trump? It appears that way, yes, sir. Okay, it does appear that so, way. <laughs> so, anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on what. Well, my, my thoughts are, I mean, I, I always want on foreign policy, I mean, there is, at least there used to be, and I still want to think that, that, Foreign, the, the partisanship stops at the water's edge. I, that, that's not what Republicans did with the president right before this one. I, I don't think that necessarily means we should automatically dismiss everything. But, I mean, I hope they succeed. I I, I, I'm glad he had a positive meeting. I, but I think the president has to talk about human rights. Um, I would certainly know if, if, if this were another president, a Democratic president, doing exactly what Trump's done, they would they would want to blow it up, the Republicans, but I, I just don't want to concern myself with that because I don't think that's the way you govern. But I do, I do note or at least um, suggest caution because we've heard empty promises from North Koreans before. We, we know the president 
President Trump went in there with, with little knowledge of history and um, always susceptible to flattery. Um, and, and also, the president always seems to be more comfortable with the world's autocrats than he does the world's Democrats, Democrats with a small d. Um, and that's, that's shown, uh, shown in every country. He seems to, he seems to be, like being around Putin and his, his thugs, if you will, and, 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 and this, this dictator in North Korea than he does Angela Merkel and the, the prime minister of Canada. So that's troubling, but I, I still wish success from this. I don't know what the next step is, but we need we still need to continue the sanctions. The president, we're not going to, but we shouldn't back off any of these sanctions with North Korea because it it was one meeting when the North Koreans said, "Oh yeah, we want to get along." That's not enough. Yeah, you you just uh, you just stole my my uh, rant for twenty minutes after because I was going to point out, you know, Trump has been an autocrat all his life. He, he, companies are essentially kingdoms. And so he has never been accountable to anybody. And even when it comes to the law, I mean, working with the mob and all this other stuff, he's always had fixers and people who helped him get around it. And so, yes, it seems like it's the autocrats of the world, whether it's Duterte or Erdogan or Orban or Putin or, or Xi or now Kim. These are the people Trump loves. And the, the leader of Saudi Arabia, Prince Salman. Um, these are the people that he just is so happy and comfortable with, and, and people. Even, yeah, you can see him even physically being more comfortable with them, and you watch these, particularly when he went on. I think it was his first European trip when he went to the Middle East. He saw a group of people that he was more physically comfortable to see more at peace, if you will, with the autocrats than he did the Democrats. And I think what you just said that his whole life. I mean, he, there, there are very few people listening to this who have not, including you and me, who have not. Um, who have not had a boss at some time, either uh, almost every, almost every American has had either an employer or a um, board. If they're, if they're a CEO, they have a board they have that they work for, or they have an employer they work for, they have um, a boss somewhere. Um, and if they're elected office, they have lots of bosses. Um, they have voters. So in Trump, Trump, in none of his occupations, really, in his entire work life, did he have any of that. So he's never really learned that. And that you're not, you're, as far as the United States, you're not, you're not undisputably, indisputably in charge all the time. And that's why he does what he does. He thinks the Justice Department works for him. The FBI works for him. We all work for him. And that's, um, that's, where he's, that's why he's so, he, he sets out and does these things so badly in the international arena, I think. Yeah, he's confusing the, the king role that a CEO actually can fill uh, with a privately held company like the Trump companies with uh, the president role, which is a, uh, was conceived of as a very different thing. I wanted to talk to you about, uh, because you, you represent Ohio and, and, and do so brilliantly. Uh, you, are, you are absolutely one of the very best senators in the United States Senate and, and uh, yeah. doing such a marvelous job for Ohio. And uh, the Supreme Court ruled a day before yesterday, as I recall, or yesterday, whenever it was yesterday, that um, it, it, the, these voter purges uh, which seemed to hit, in fact, one of the headlines over at Daily Kos was the uh, Supreme Court legalizes voter purges that take two Democrats for every one Republican. Uh, they seem to be uh, used selectively, and even when they're not, they seem to hit Democratic areas much harder than Republican areas, which is why Republicans are so enthusiastic about them. And, and uh, you know, not to mention, you know, the classic Paul Weyrich uh, quote. Um, it, what's what's, what's going to be the impact of this on you and your state? Well, it's it's a bad impact. I, I think we minimize it through better organizing and more aggressive uh, registration and get up the vote operation. But it is it's one of it's one of many things they do to try to suppress the vote. 
I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's something that there, there are every, every presidential election, every two years, in fact, every federal election in my state, um, dozens and dozens of lawyers outside the state and hundreds of lawyers inside the state volunteer their time um, to work with people who, for whom they're trying to oppress, suppress the vote. So we're, we're to work with those who are being victimized by it. They stand at polling places in minority neighborhoods. They, we have a central call-in place in all the urban counties where, um, where the Republicans are targeting. And you know, that they, they win elections by suppressing votes of people who have a little less education and a little less economic wherewithal. Um, they, um, they especially intimidate older black voters who have a history of have a, have a knowledge of the history of voter suppression when they moved here from the South which is the case in uh, particularly African-Americans over about 65 or 70. Uh, and they, they play that, and now they're playing it. They used to just play it informally in, organ, in an organized way, but an, an extra-legal way. Now they're playing it through the court system. And um, it's the voter purge. It's the repeal of Sunday voting. It's taking out something called the Golden Week, which they created to, back when Republicans were different to actually want to encourage people to vote. And now they're putting two... The president just nominated two six-district circuit judges who are, who are part of this. Uh, mm. And uh, in contrast to that, I was Secretary of State many years ago, and we actually got the McDonald's Corporation to print a million tray liners, those pieces of paper right. that are put on your plastic tray if you go to McDonald's, and they were voter registration forms. So boards of elections still in Ohio have um, ketchup stained voter registration forms. <laughs> that is great. Some, somewhere in their files. Well, just I mean, we, and now, now we have a Secretary of State and a judicial system that tries to find every possible way to keep people from voting. It's just, yeah. it's just uh, absolutely reprehensible. Just, just to put this in context, Paul Weyrich was the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation. He, was, he helped run the Reagan campaign, and in 1980 in Dallas, Texas, he sat with a group of uh, Christian Republican activists who were about to go out and campaign nationwide for Reagan, and this is what he said to them. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. How do we deal with that? Well, when Paul Weyrich, I mean, before Paul Weyrich in this country, at the beginning, you had to be white male Protestant landowner. Mm. Um, I don't think he's quite going back to that, although he would have been happy to. I, I have actually never heard that quote live. I've seen reference to it. That's really something. And that's yeah. how they, they, they do still think that way. They, mo most are smart enough to, I think, probably Warwick was taken aside and say, you know, you may not want to say that publicly anymore, but that's how they operate. I mean, that's what they've done to suppress the vote. There's just no question about that's what they do. Yeah. And it's just abysmal. Yeah, it, 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 it really and truly is. And, and you know, I'm, I, I am hopeful that, uh, well, I, you know, this is the Supreme Court. I mean, do you see any, any coming back from this? We have just about 10 seconds, I'm sorry. Well, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, not on this right now, except we out-organize them and we get people registered to vote. And we're going to do that in Ohio, especially young voters who have never been to the polls before in a big, big way. Yeah, there you go. Senator Sherrod Brown. Uh, Senators, thanks so much for being with us. Always. Thank it's you. It's great talking. Thank you very much. We'll be back. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Uh, more. Uh, the place where smart people get their news. More on the news of the day. I want to get into uh, my whole... My whole take here on what's going on with uh, Trump and, and North Korea may not be exactly what you think I'm going to say right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. So, you know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I if if Donald Trump can make peace with North Korea, not that North Korea was at war. Right. I mean, North Korea has been at war with their own people since the 1950s. But, you know, they're threatening South Korea. If he can if he can reduce that threat, I'm all in favor of it. What strikes me as odd, though, is that he has given up the sticks that we had, basically. He has given Kim everything he wanted. I mean, you know, he wanted to be internationally recognized. And now he's meeting with the, you know, world leaders and he's, you know, the Korean, North Korean flag and the U.S. flag next to each other and Trump and Kim and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, he's, he's received this worldwide acceptance on this enormously grand scale. He has been suffering for years and years under really serious uh, U.S. sanctions. And uh, those sanctions are now relaxed, right? We're backing off on the sanctions. Uh, we, we suspended the military exercises. As I said, in, in, the, uh, in 2014, a U.N. report laid out, uh, by the way, this is from a, uh, this great list here from a, a post over on Democratic Underground. Um, the, the, the U.N. report in 2014 said that this, uh, the North Korea is the most repressive regime since the Nazis. And what did we get in, ex- in exchange for that? Nothing. I mean, literally nothing. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we've got any old bodies of dead Americans from the, from the Korean War. Uh, but by the way, you're going to have to pay us millions of dollars per body to repatriate them. We had to pay millions of dollars. We, you know, we picked up the hotel bill for Kim and for all his guys. We paid for everything. We got nothing. So, you know, I, I started out by, by reading ne- Neville Chamberlain's speech from uh, September 30th, 1938, after he met with Hitler and came back and said, I believe we have peace in our time, right? We regard the agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two people never to go to war with one another. We, have, we are resolved that the message of consultation shall be the method adopted, you know, et cetera. So, in the meantime, you have... You know, a number of uh, interesting, interesting comments from Donald Trump. When he was talking with George Stephanopoulos uh, last week, he, was, he said, you know, you see, his people, you see the fervor. His country loves him. Right. Because it's just like in Saudi Arabia. If you don't, then you, you lose your head. But see, Trump, as, as Senator Brown was pointing out, Trump loves the autocrats, not the small D Democrats or small R Republicans for that matter. And he, he, he says, uh, I don't have to verify the details. I have one of the great memories of all time. This is a, you know, a quote from NBC News. It was a great conversation. He trusts me. I trust him. I mean, this, this so reminds me of, you know, some of the, uh, some of the conversations after World War II. Uh, and, and again, let me remind you that it was specifically... Dean Acheson, our Secretary of State in, in, the, in 47, 48 under Harry Truman, it was our withdrawal of American forces from South Korea that led Kim, so- Kim Jong, whichever one, one it was, Song, I think, his, his grandfather, to invade South Korea, which led to the Korean War, which Harry Tr- Truman fought, and we lost 40,000 American soldiers because we had w- withdrawn our troops, and now Trump is talking about withdrawing troops. I'm just 
you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking that this is a good idea. Anyhow, your thoughts on this. Loretta in Cleveland. Hey, Loretta, what's on your mind? Well, it appears that uh, Donald John Trump has put us on the road to fascism. How so? Well, I'm looking at the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for the Mueller investigation conclusion because it's going to show that Donald Trump owes Russia. Remember, he couldn't get any loans here in America. So he has been traveling the, the world, going to all of these different banks, borrowing money, and he's going to use our taxpayer piggy bank to pay them back. Well, he just got a, a, tr a billion dollars, uh, two $500 million loans, one from the Chinese government directly, one from a bank owned largely by the Chinese government for his Trump Tower in Indonesia, which was teetering on the edge. And uh, his daughter just got 14 trademarks from China, which they had been withholding for years because, you know, so much of her stuff is, is not quite as original as would merit a trademark. And uh, she I'm got these trademarks sure. with hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and immediately Trump says, oh, you know, great, no problem. We will, we will let you sell cell phones in the United States to spy on Americans. Right, VTE. Yep. But if you look at what he has done with the, the G7, he's went all around the world and tore up all of our treaties, the TTP, NAFTA, climate right. debate, the Paris Accords, everything that we had with those countries which include our shared values. Yes. And I'm putting quotes around that. Well, that's and because Trump does not share those values, what, Loretta. Well, what he's done, he has traded in all of our allies for dictators and despots. Yep. Very, uh, very well said. Very well said. Him. Yep. Loretta, Loretta I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, you're, you're going through the list that I went through earlier. I absolutely agree with you. I'm, I've got to move along, but thank you so much for, for, the, for your comments because, you know, this, this is exactly what is happening, is that Donald Trump is turning America into an autocratic, oligarchic state, uh, a country, you know, run by dear leader and his very, very rich friends. And the, the people around the world that he's sucking up to are running their countries that way. And they're those kinds of people. And that is not consistent with American values. And, and uh, you know, there's just something fundamentally, fundamentally wrong about that. I want to take one more quick, quick call here. Tim in, in uh, Minneapolis. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, uh, I I don't understand what the big deal is when uh, I'm an independent. So I, I you know I go by basically the what the, you know the policies and things of that nature. I voted for Obama, but uh, I also voted for Trump because there was a need for a change, you know. And I, I don't understand what the big deal is if they're charging us twenty to third twenty five percent on our goods going in, but yet we're charging two percent for their goods coming in. Why can't we have an even playing field? What, what, what's the problem with an even playing field? And yeah, Tim, I'm not sure what show you're listening to. I, you know, on other days we have talked about tariffs, and, and I've said I, I am in favor of a tariff-based trade system, and, uh, and I'm not in favor of this uh, new world order stuff that we've had since 1992 of you know, NAFTA and GATT and all that stuff. Uh, but that said, uh, Trump is not doing it the way 
in a way that will be meaningful or lasting. Instead, he's throwing things out and then saying, oh, but if you're nice to me, I'll give you an exception. <laughs> but if you're Europe, I won't, right? It's crazy. Anyhow, we'll be back with more of your calls, and uh, we're going to check in with Senator, Senator Jeff Merkley also. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We'll be right back. It's 42 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Senator Jeff Merkley on the line with us. Senator, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. It is great having you, as always. Uh, you, last time you were on last week, you were trying to get into that detention center in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, you said what you had glimpsed was it looked like children in cages. I understand you've now had an opportunity to actually visit one of these facilities. What have you learned? Well, I was able to visit a processing center, but I have not yet been in a detention facility. Mm. And the detention facilities are operated under contract to the Office of Refugee Relocation. Uh, they have a strategy of keeping congressionals out that involves you have to reserve your space two weeks in advance, and they might not grant it, so it makes it very hard to put it on your calendar. And furthermore, that's outrageous because it, we need to be able to see, members of Congress need to be able to see what is happening on a, on a real-time basis, not some see some show put on that they have two weeks to, to, to plan for. We have uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of children who've been torn away from their parents because of this brand new policy put into place by the, by, the, uh, by the Trump administration. Yes, there were some single kids in, quote, detention during the Obama administration. They were mostly kids who arrived here all alone or, you know, were, their parents were abusive or whatever. I mean, you know, there were legitimate reasons for it. But this is, this is something horribly new. And yet Trump is saying, this is a Democrat policy. This is the Democrats can fix this. Um, your thoughts, your response. Yes, this is this is just a, a well a big fat lie. I know that will shock everyone, uh, and I, I never thought I would say that about uh, President of the United States. But uh, there it, there it is. This was a policy developed and wrestled with over almost from the time that Trump came into office. His team kept saying, "No, we're just it's going too far to hurt children in order to deter people from seeking asylum in the U.S." But as it continued to dehumanize immigrants, including the president's speech in January, on uh, which he uh, characterized immigrants as just MS-13 gang members, and then more recently he called immigrants animals. He dehumanized them. It became acceptable as of April this year to actually adopt this policy of saying, yes, we will hurt children to deter families from seeking asylum. Think about Lady Liberty with her, quote, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, and envision now what her quote is or what her statement to the world is it's this if you are persecuted abroad and you wash up on the shores of the united states of america we will treat you as a criminal and we will snatch your children away from you and you may never know if you will see them again she isn't carrying a torch anymore a light to the world she is carrying a pair of handcuffs this distinction seems to be entirely missing in the uh, in the mainstream media the distinction between people who are uh, coming into the United States illegally, whether they're crossing the Rio Grande or whether they're overstaying a visa or coming in as visitors, um, but, but are here, you know, without documentation because they're looking for a job versus people who are literally fleeing violence in their home countries. They're, they're fleeing threats of death. They're fleeing family members who've been killed. 
uh, they, you know, some of the most horrific circumstances. They are genuine refugees, and we are treating them as if they were criminals. How, how do we break through the media to educate Americans about this? I'm guessing nine out of 10 Americans watch these reports on TV and assume it's all about, you know, people who just, you know, swam the Rio Grande. Well, I think that this uh, emphasis on families seeking asylum who are arriving together, they're coming to border points and, uh, and telling their stories is, is really moving America. I, I've had so many people come up to me and say, my family came here as asylum seekers. If I had been separated from my parents when we came, I just can't imagine the trauma I would have ex experienced and the, and the stress and anxiety my parents would have experienced. I, I think we, we, we have to keep telling their stories. And yesterday, the administration created a new definition of asylum designed to make it virtually impossible for anyone from Central America to seek asylum in the United States, no matter how horrific the persecution is that they have suffered. So that's an additional black mark on our, on our nation. Was this an administrative thing? How did they yes, do this? Yes. Well, they basically, Jeff Sessions issued a new definition of asylum that excludes uh, persecution by gangs or any form of uh, uh, family uh, uh, persecution. And, for example, I met a woman at a respite center operated by the uh, Sacred Heart Catholic Church uh, down, down there in Texas, and uh, she told me her story. She was many months pregnant. Uh, she uh, had been in a, a family in, in Honduras that con was confronted by the local uh, well, the, the uh, organized crime operation, the, the drug organized crime operation that ran the community, and they got a foul of it, and they sent a team of uh, men to gang rape her as punishment and, and threatened her life. Uh, she, ex she was raped, and uh, she had to flee immediately, uh, and she had to make very quick arrangements for her children. She didn't know how her children were faring back, back home. She was released because she is pregnant, but under the definition established yesterday, the new definition put forward, she is immediately cut off from the possibility of uh, seeking asylum, even though when she arrived here, the policy was different. That's extraordinary. What, what do you, it seems like this is being normalized. This is being more and more accepted. It's being less and less discussed. Um, and, and I'm not hearing anything from the Republicans, certainly, and very little from the Democrats about uh, doing something about, you know, again, dealing with asylum seekers here. What, what are you seeing there in the United States Senate, Senator? Uh, I've Senator talked to a number of my Republican colleagues who have said, oh, yeah, this is just terrible, but they are absolutely unwilling to speak out publicly uh, about it. They have said that they will whisper in the ear of the administration, but whispering in the mirror, ears of the administration isn't, isn't enough. We need, this is, shouldn't be partisan. Uh, cruelty to children, inflicting harm on children in order to influence parents is, is just beyond anything that we could have imagined. We've had some child snatching policies in the past during slavery. Children were snatched from their parents' arms. Native American tribes experienced the grievance of children being taken, a, taken away from them. But we are far beyond that period in our history. And to, to reestablish a new chapter of child snatching, which has absolutely, there's no reason to separate a family awaiting the asylum hearing. It, 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 it just, I mean, if you have the hearing and they're admitted to the U.S., you don't want to have wreaked psychological damage on the family that is now being welcomed into the U.S. If they're not 
welcomed into the U.S., if they don't meet the test for asylum and they're returning to their home country, there's certainly no reason to have made their experience in the United States one in which they've been egregiously assaulted. So uh, this, this just has to end. Yeah. In the last minute we have, what would you suggest the people listening to this program right now do? Well, support uh, Feinstein's uh, Keep Families Together Act. Uh, also call up on the uh, admit, so call your your members of the House and Senate and tell them to co-sponsor this this act. Uh, support the act that I'm putting forward that allows members of Congress uh, access within a day's notice to see what's going on in detention facilities with children around the country, so we can really see how how children are being cared for and what their needs are and and rise to their assistance. Uh, weigh in that th with uh, committee chairs that that we need to have hearings on this this topic. Uh, and just publicize it with your friends on your Facebook and so forth that this uh, uh, child snatching damage to children, trauma against children, is, is un-American. There is no moral code in the universe. There is no religious tradition in the universe that would support this. It, it, it has to end. Yeah, this is absolutely wrong. And the phone number for the congressional switchboard, and you just tell them you know, who you want to talk to and they'll connect you, is 202-225-3121. Senator Jeff Merkley, one of the great ones. Merkley.senate.gov. You can tweet him at SendJeffMerkley. Senator, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Tom. Great talking with you, as always. We'll be back. We've got uh, a lot more going on on the program today. We're going to check in on the uh, Ohio voter purges that are happening uh, as now as a consequence of the Supreme Court decision with Greg Pallast after this. Stick around. It's uh, coming up on the top of the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Welcome again to our newest radio station, KKSF, Real Talk 910 in San Francisco. Think forward. It's an iHeartRadio station. The website is realtalk910.com. You can tweet them at realtalk910. 
And of course, their Facebook page is facebook.com slash realtalk910. And on the line with us is our old buddy, Greg Pallast. Greg Pallast, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his current, the best democracy money can, can buy. You can watch it over on Amazon. Uh, GregPallast.com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, welcome back. Glad to be with you. It's so always... you wave goodbye to the blue wave? Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, that's, I guess that's what we're talking about here. I had a brief conversation with Senator Sherrod Brown about this earlier on in the day, about, you know, how... Uh, the how hostile the Republican Party is to voting rights in general and and, uh, you know, the consequences of the Supreme Court decision. If you could re -quick, very quickly recap for us exactly what the Supreme Court said and how this has historically played out and how it is now playing out under the control of Republicans in the state of Ohio and whether or not to what extent you expect this to spread across the country now that now that. Uh, uh, the uh, illegitimate Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch has cast the deciding vote. You know, it should have been uh, Merrick Garland has cast the deciding vote to uh, to do this. Your turn, Greg. Okay. Um, the Supreme Court, it all comes down to a postcard, Tom. If you uh, read the decision, it's a fight about a postcard. What am I talking about? The Supreme Court said that the state of Ohio, under the National Voting Rights Act and under the Help America Vote Act, but especially under the NVRA, as it's called, um, can remove, they can remove people who've changed their address, if they have evidence that they've changed their address. Now, what is the evidence in Ohio that they've changed their address? In Ohio, it's like, well, you missed an election. Well, how does that mean you've changed the address? Oh, well, you must move somewhere else because you missed the election. Really? Um, about 4% of people move, um, uh, move out of their voting jurisdiction in, a, in an election cycle. They claim that 20% of Ohioans have split the state um, in one shot. So what Whoa. do they do? You miss, you miss an election, or, by the way, our old friend is here, you're on the cross-checklist, that's evidence you've moved. They then send you a postcard. Uh, if you see my film, I actually show the postcard. The postcard really looks like junk mail, and almost everyone throws it away. You throw away that postcard, you are now on the hit list. You miss two federal elections. That means you missed a general election and you missed a, a midterm election, and you just lost your right to vote. Even though the National Voting Rights Act says very clearly, black and white language, that you can't lose your vote in the future because you failed to vote before. It says that right there, unless there's specific evidence that you lose. But not returning that piece of junk mail postcard is the evidence now, the Republican Party was doing this back in, you know, during the Reagan administration, as I recall, and before, but uh, during the Reagan administration, my recollection, correct me if I'm wrong, you know this stuff better than I, Greg, um, and it was called caging, and they got nailed for it, and for decades operated under a federal court order preventing them from continuing this caging process of purging voters off the voting rolls. They were uh, selectively doing it largely into black neighborhoods. But still, I mean, is, uh, did, did, did the Supreme Court just legalize caging? Is that what's going on? Uh, in effect, yes, by the state. Uh, and I should say, this is very important, okay? By the way, it, it really is, and by the way, it's designed to be a, a piece of junk mail to be thrown away. I talked to Michael Itchocki, who's one of the uh, experts in the nation, on designing responsive postcards, because he works for, you know, like uh, you know, eBay and Dell Computer and uh, people like that who want you to respond. And he says it violates every single rule. It's meant, he said, it's 
looks like it's designed designed for you not to return that postcard, not to understand what it is. And if you speak Spanish, by the way, hasta la vista. Um, you know, so, right. um, you know and, and by the way, young, and so who, you know, so yes, it legalizes a, a virulent form of caging. And I should say that, unfortunately, John Houston, who is, you know, vying for, with Chris Kobach of Kansas to be the most partisan, vicious vote suppressor in the nation. He's the Secretary uh, of State of Ohio. Many, yeah. yeah, many states are using this system. Uh, it's not a question of it will it spread. It is being used in at least at least a dozen states as we speak, and so you have a massive, massive attack on the voter roll. And one thing that the center um, uh, Sonia Sotomayor um, mentioned is that who's getting attacked here? It's minority voters, young voters. People who you know move apartments and don't get these, uh, and you know you move an apartment, you're building, you may not get that that uh, that piece of junk mail anyway. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're an illegal voter. You move. Uh, poor people tend to move. They're renters. Uh, they move within a congressional district. You don't have to re-register, but you won't get your postcard, and you're done. So it is it is an absolute attack on the minority community. Plus, you have to understand places like Cleveland. In places like Cleveland, the um, you, you have uh, congressional districts, which basically have no contest. So you know, there's no reason to vote in the midterms. They're uncontested elections to a great extent. But of course, people don't, you know, you have a big drop-off in midterms. So you didn't like who was on the ballot in 16. Then you skipped the midterm because, hey, no one's uh, voting. Or, or this was in 12. You saw no reason to vote. Obama's got locked up, whatever. And then you didn't vote in the midterm election. That tends to be stronger in urban areas, minority areas, et cetera. Well, in large and, part because yeah. taking a day off to go vote means, uh, you know, for, for many of these people, you know, low-income workers, that they're going to lose a day's pay. Well, and as you saw in Ohio, so you have to combine this with the other things that John Houston does. For example, um, if you, you know, in my film, you'll see these, you might only see pictures of the postcard, but you'll see lines, uh, five hours, seven hours right. in Dayton and Cleveland, and zero in the white suburbs. Zero weight in the white suburbs. So you see this five-hour line. Yeah, I can't stay here. I got to pick up my kids from school. Right. So they know who's getting hit by this. And by the way, I'm doing something about it. Uh, I ha- we're filing this week. Uh, I said we uh, on my behalf. I'm having uh, a team of really top lawyers file against John Houston to give me the actual names of the people who were purged. Did these people really move? That's what I want to find out, because that's what it comes down to. They have the right to remove people where there's evidence that they've moved out of the jurisdiction, out of the state. Right, which is reasonable on its face, but the way that they're doing it is just insanely sneaky. Right, and they're doing it. Look, the number of people who actually move uh, is um, it's it's, uh, one-fifth of the amount of people that they're removing from the voter roll. Mm. So if if they got... And by the way, a lot of those people weren't registered, or they, uh, or they, there's a mail. So basically, almost everyone has been purged. And I'm shocked that the uh, courts didn't require Houston to turn over his list. So I'm going to make him do it now. I want to get those names. They really move. Did those people really, really move? Yeah. And I mean, that's what it comes down to. You're allowed to remove someone who's moved, and yeah. you have strong evidence that they've moved. Yep. This is and the. As far uh, as I can see, yeah. This is the Republican war on voting. Greg Pallas, the uh, best democracy money can buy is his latest documentary. You can see it over on Amazon or at gregpallas.com, Greg underscore Pallas. Greg, thanks a lot for dropping by today. Terrific, thank you. Great talking with you. We'll be right back.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Tom Hartman here with you. We'll be back with more of the news of the day. My thoughts on it and your calls right after this. And welcome back. Uh, Let's see here. Ronald in Tallahassee, Florida. Hey, Ronald, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Well, thank you. I've listened to you for years, and I remember you used to talk about taking you taking walks and letting your left nostril and your right nostril bring air to your brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you may need a good walk, Tom. Yeah. Okay. You, you may need a good walk because you're getting negative. We're not going to have another war. We're not going to have a financial crisis. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't need uh, the U.S. military going around like they did in the Gulf of Tonkin. You know that that caused the Vietnam War. We don't need so much military if we cut the military. The I broadly agree with you, Ronald, but when well, you cut, sit well, down get, with a guy... Let me get some more out. Let me get some more. We cut the U.S. military by two-thirds, and one of the ways we... They're not, they're not exercise. exercises. Exercises is sit-ups and push-ups. War games are war games, even if the Chinese say... Ronald, you're right on all of that, but when you're sitting down with a guy who's got 100,000 people in prison, at least, that we know of, just for speaking out against him or for being, quote, suspicious. When you're sitting down with a guy who three years or four years ago, the United Nations said was running a country that was every bit as violent and repressive as the Nazis were. When you're sitting down with a guy like that, when you're sitting down with a guy who, whose grandfather invaded South Korea because we pulled our troops out, when you're sitting down with a guy who, who uh, you know, who's willing to starve his own people, who murdered his own brother to maintain power, and you give him something and get absolutely nothing in return for it, I think that's a bad deal. I just think broadly that's a bad deal. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I'm, I don't think that, the, that we need more war games. I don't disagree with you on that. I don't think that we need more, more militarization anywhere in the world. I think the United States is, you know, I mean, we spend more on our military than, than the other next seven countries combined. Up until a couple of years ago, we spent more on our military than literally every other country in the world combined. China's explosion in military spending has changed that equation somewhat. But, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, having Trump go over and give everything away. Jordan, apparently you want to defend this, too. Trump did a good job. Yes. Okay, you're on the air. Jordan. Uh, Is this Tom? I am. Hey, Tom. This is Jordan. Uh Uh-huh. This is Jordan. I'm listening, so, Jordan. Hi. Um, so about this, the summit that took place? Yep. What did you think of, of it? Did you think he did I think Trump got job? played. I, 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 in terms of international diplomacy and international relations, I think Trump got played. In terms of, of uh, Trump and Kim becoming much more popular with, their, with the people in their own countries, I think Trump and Kim won. I think we got played. I think the average American got played. We're, we're the suckers in this game, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and, the, and the people of, of North Korea, they got nothing out of this. You know, there was no commitment to, to try to improve, uh, you know, the quality of life in North Korea. I am hopeful. I mean, it, you know, it would be nice to see some, you know, reduction in just the general insanity in the region. But keep in mind, China has been keeping this thing rolling for years and years. They are North Korea's ally. They could have pulled the plug anytime they wanted. They could have changed things. They were just fine with what North Korea was doing. So, you know, we got played. 
We'll be back. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, representing the 13th District of California, the senior member of the Appropriations Committee, former co-chair and current whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Lee.house.gov is the website. You can tweet her at Rep. Barbara Lee. Uh, Representative Lee, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. So glad to have you with yes, us. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Um, I, I wanted to talk about your thoughts on what happened, you know, the top news story of the day, obviously, the, the North Korea and all that. And, and also uh, your thoughts on uh, uh, funding uh, low-yield nuclear weapons. Uh, so if we can start with Korea, your thoughts? Sure. Now, first of all, let me say, uh, I believe that uh, any effort that would reduce the uh, threat of nuclear war is worth engaging in. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that this, this will work. Uh, diplomacy is the only option, really, when you have a world uh, full of nuclear weapons. Uh, a couple things. I hope that... Um, it's really not just a photo op that uh, this vague document that was signed becomes a more meaningful uh, document in terms of denuclearization and, uh, of course, verification on the, the uh, efforts toward denuclearization. But, um, you know, the way this president approached it, quite frankly, uh, bothers me in many respects because, one, you know, we don't um, know exactly what was discussed in the closed meetings. But secondly, uh, without consulting with South Korea, you know, and canceling joint military exercises, with, whether you agree with it or not, at least the consultation with an ally, I think, is extremely important. And I'm not so sure what North Korea uh, gave up um, for that. So these negotiations at the start, uh, unfortunately, the State Department uh, has been hollowed out in terms of its budget and in terms of the diplomatic corps, so I hope that they will bring seasoned negotiators to the table to begin to hammer this out and that um, they stick with it. Because, of course, with John Bolton there, who consistently talked about regime change and the use of force, uh, you know, some of these individuals are war hawks and they need scientists and they need more diplomats to really make sure that uh, this agenda moves forward in terms of uh, denuclearization. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, you've, been, you've been looking at these uh, low-yield nuclear weapons. Tell us, tell us about these and what this means, uh, the, the, the development know, of these. It doesn't make any sense. First of all, here we're trying to talk, engage in nuclear disarmament, uh, and we're continuing to fund and build more nuclear weapons. In the budget, there was $65 million in the defense appropriations bill that, uh, excuse me, I think it was energy and water uh, appropriations bill. And for low-yield uh, nuclear weapons, which allows uh, submarines to launch nuclear weapons, it's, it's overly broad. Um, it doesn't make any sense. We have enough nuclear weapons pointed in all directions to ensure, you know, we still, you know, uh, have have them for deterrent reasons, but why build more? Well, here's 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 what the other thing they did. They cut the nonproliferation account, and so what my amendment did was actually cut the sixty-five million for the low-yield nukes and put it back into the uh, nonproliferation account. Right. My my understanding of this, and I and it's it's based on some assumptions. So I'd like to reality check this with you is that historically, you know, after, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we have uh, said basically nuclear weapons are going to be the very last resort. They're going to be very big weapons that are going to blow up and kill a lot of people, which 
further increases the probability of them being last resort. And, and we don't want to engage in nuclear warfare with somebody because once that tripwire has been crossed, then bigger and bigger nuclear weapons could be coming back at us. And, and the low-yield nuclear weapons is a way of saying, you know, that 5,000-pound that bunker-busting bomb that we dropped in Afghanistan the other day, uh, you know, a year or three ago, um, uh, or last year, that that 5,000-pound bomb, had it been a low-yield nuclear bomb, would have been just as destructive locally and maybe only weighed 300 pounds if it had been made out of fissionable material, in nuclear material. So it's, so it's a little more efficient for the military. So let's make some of these, you know, uh, devices that have the same explosive power as some of our really large conventional weapons as really small nuclear weapons, and wouldn't that be cool? And it seems to me like that's really dangerous. Am I understanding this correctly? Yes, you are, and it's very dangerous because one, of course, action is going to trigger a reaction, uh, whether they're yield, low yield or not. I mean, you know, to, to use nuclear weapons, you, you're going to uh, begin a nuclear war. Yeah. And that's something we should avoid at all costs. And, yes, I have visited Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and, and I've seen and talked to people who, um, who were dev their lives were devastated by uh, nuclear war. And we should avoid that at all costs. And, and we shouldn't, because uh, these low-yield weapons, in many respects, create an arms race, another arms race. We should yep. be going in the opposite direction toward disarmament and not giving any other country a reason to increase their nuclear weapon stock rather than uh, engage in disarmament. Is the Pentagon providing you with a good or reasonable, or, or maybe even what you don't think are good and reasonable, but they think are re good and reasonable arguments in favor of these low-yield weapons? Or is this a political uh, activity that's being engaged in as a consequence of uh, defense contractors that can manufacture these things, you know, buying a, or lobbying a large number of presumably Republican members of Congress uh, to to push this process forward. What's what's going on here? Yeah, the argument that I hear most of the time, especially from Republicans, is that well, you know, Russia has nuclear weapons. We need to have more than Russia uh, as a deterrent. I mean, it's the counter argument to uh, nonproliferation. Hmm. And so that and basically, you know, it's it's it sets us on a road to you know increasing the threat of nuclear war. Yeah. Rather than, on, you know, toward disarmament. And so I believe it's more of a political argument and it's more of an uh, effort to, at least the arguments from the Republicans that I hear, is the argument that uh, Russia has them, we need more. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's remarkable. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and, and what, the very last question here, what would you like people who are listening to this program right now to do? Well, I'd like people, one, to look at what is taking place with North Korea in, in context of our foreign policy and question why in the world would this administration pull out of the Iran uh, nuclear deal when, in fact, uh, it was working, the inspections were working, they were complying with it, and, uh, you know, we uh, had a verified uh, regimen in place. What is happening as it relates to Cuba? Why in the world um, can't we normalize relations with the country 90 miles away when, in fact, this president just, you know, provided an opening for one of the um, cruelest dictators in the world with Kim Jong-un. And so I think, you know, we have to not only see this as, as a North Korea issue in terms of diplomacy, but we have to say diplomacy uh, must prevail as a central part of our foreign policy and try to uh, get, and I'm urging the public, get this administration to see how 
hypocritical it is to pull out of a, a nuclear deal with Iran that would have stopped Iran from building nuclear weapons, and how hypocritical it is to um, cozy up, you know, and yes, diplomacy is what we have to do to make sure we're free uh, of war and that we have peace in the world, but why can't we talk to to others who we disagree with, such as um, leadership in Cuba? So it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of this administration's uh, consistency with yeah. their global peace and security uh, strategy. Absolutely brilliant points on all. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, representing California's 13th District, senior member of the Appropriations Committee, former co-chair and current whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, lee.house.gov. You can tweet her at Rep. Barbara Lee. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you. It is a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. We'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back. Carol in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Oh, hey, Tom. Um, when you were talking about Social Security and the whole entitlement thing, nowadays my response is, yes, we're, it's an entitlement because we've already paid for it. But the tricks and the traps that they're doing, it really amounts to grand theft because the boomers, as you well know, we're pay, paid in advance. We paid in advance for our retirement, the first generation to pay in advance for our retirement. Yep. But they also allowed Social Security, it has its own set of books, but they've brought it into the budget. So it shows up there. All of that excess that's sitting in the trust fund shows in the budget so it doesn't look like we're as badly in debt as we are. They're, they're showing it on the – it's kind of like the change that they made for a company that takes over another company where they can say that their um, profit sharing or the retirement funds are an asset, not a liability. Right. They're considering that an asset of the United States government, and when they have to start paying it back, they're going to have to admit they stole it. Well, perhaps. My understanding is that the uh, Social Security Trust Fund is basically just T-bills. I mean, you know, it's yes, a special yes. kind of T-bills, but those, those reflect as debt. I, I think there is a way where they're showing that on the full federal budget, not on the Social Security well, it side. Yeah, it wouldn't be in the budget because it's not included as income, and it wouldn't be on the budget because it's not included as an expense. I, Maybe it's their balance sheet then. Yeah, it would have to be the balance sheet, and the, and and on the balance sheet, I think it's just it's just showing up as debt. But but the but the, the big problem, you know, you're absolutely right, Carolyn. Most people don't realize this. From the time Social Security was created in 1935 until the Reagan administration, until I think it was 82, 83, whenever the Greenspan Commission reformed it. Yeah, right up until that point. Um, basically, people who were working paid into Social Security, and that paid for the cost of people who were retired uh, or who had been disabled, like my friend Michael. And all of that was you know, paid for out of general funds. And what they saw coming down the road was that around the year 2000 or a little after the year, certainly around the year 2010, that the boomers, the baby boomer generation, was going to start aging out. And there would, you know, there would not be enough money in the trust fund for that. And so they literally doubled the Social Security tax in what, what yep. year was it, Carol? 84, you said? 80, I think it was 82 or 3 yeah, they I, doubled the I, tax yeah, I, on both employer and... And, and employees, exactly. 20. And I, I thought that the Greenspan Commission was in 82 and they, they put it into law in 83, but whatever. Right around that time, they doubled the Social Security tax 
And from that point until today, and, and continuing going forward, um, we're, we're paying money into a savings account that would be used, that, that is intended to be exhausted when the last of the boomers dies off in the 2040s. Um, that Social Security trust fund is supposed to go away, and then it'll go back to a pay-as-you-go kind of system. And yeah. now you've got Republicans who are, who are demagoguing the, the fact that people don't understand that the Social Security trust fund is prepaid by boomers for the retirement of boomers. We double taxed ourselves for 40 years so that we could retire reasonably. And when that money is gone, it's supposed to be gone and Social Security goes back to working the way it is. And so now you've got people like Paul Ryan running around going, oh, my God, the Social Security uh, trust fund is going to start paying down. It's going to start, you know, they're going to start taking money out of it any day now. Uh, I think it's, it's supposed to be next year or maybe the year after that it's going to actually go negative instead of the fund going up. It's $2.7 trillion right now. Instead of the fund going up, it's going to start going down. And that's a terrible thing. And that means we need to privatize Social Security. No, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. And, and they knew at the time that there was going to have to be another adjustment. And that other adjustment course. should be tax everything a person earns. Yes, right. Let's lift the cap. And right now, if you make over $130,000 a year, you no longer have to pay into the Social Security uh, f uh, you know, fund. And, and that is just plain old flat out wrong. Carol, thank you for the call. Well said. Eric in Springfield, Illinois. Hey, Eric, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. It says here you read the, uh, the agreement that uh, Trump and Kim signed? Yeah. Um, my first thought was... Uh, if I had turned this in, in in college, I'd have probably got an F. Yeah. Because it says nothing. There are no firm com commitments at all. Uh, is nothing. the is the is Trump's commitment to end the uh, end the so-called war games, our military exercises with the South Korean uh, army uh, and navy and whatnot? Are are those in that written agreement? Nope. Yeah, I figured not. So Trump is just pulling nah. this stuff out of the air. Nah. Um, the only thing that makes any sense and of course this goes back 60 some years is they will uh commit to re, re uh, covering the pow mia's remaining right and we're going to pay That's several it. million dollars per set of remains for that uh, by the way yeah uh now i also heard i thought i didn't know if i heard it from you or someone else earlier this morning we paid for his trip there yeah yeah, we paid for his trip. We paid for his entourage. We paid for the hotel. I'm not sure if the United States paid the entire bill or if there was some larger group that paid for it. But the Kim administration, their whole thing was, hey, we're broke. We're a little tiny country. We've got, you know, our entire national budget is like the size of Flint, Michigan. Uh, we got no money. We can't afford to send Kim. And so, and so Trump was like, oh, no, we'll take care of it. No problem. So why are we fooling around with a, a broke country? I mean, they, they, you know, they won't send. Because it looks good on Fox News. <laughs> Because it looks good on Fox News, you know it's it's Trump gets to claim that he's he's got he's a foreign policy genius. And after he blew up the Iran deal, which was an actual deal with an actual country that with the you know they didn't even have a nuclear weapon, we prevented them from getting one. It was working, and it was working to the benefit of the moderates in Iran, and it was working to the detriment of the radicals. And now Trump has blown that up, and he's empowering the hardcore right wingers, which is bad for us and bad for world peace. And and he pulls out of the Paris deal and he and he and he's, you know, spits in the face of the G7 
and, and all this stuff. I mean, he's just destroying alliances with democratic countries around the world and, and the, the Iran deal, which was cut with China and Russia, along with Germany and France and the UK and us. Uh, you know, this deal, which would make the, the world a safer place, he's blown up all those things. So he really needed something to save face. So, hey, let's find this dictator, this little tin pot dictator who, who has his, him and his father and his grandfather have been begging for 60 years to have a meeting with the U.S. president. And we've always said, yeah, sure, we'll have a meeting. You can have a meeting with the U.S. president once you let 100,000 people out of prison. Once you, and Eric, thanks for the call. Once you, once you do something about the, the behave, your behavior in the neighborhood, you know, but no, Trump, Trump just says, hey, if I can get a good photo op out of this, I'll go for it. We've been played, my friends. We've been played. This is not going to enhance world peace. And everything, and when you put it in the context of everything else Trump is doing, this is severely problematic. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a fascinating day. A lot going on in the news cycle. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, as President Obama used to say all the time, Bernie used to say all the time, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.